The following Truth Barista podcast is a High Beam Ministry production. Well, the Bible tells us about a man who ruled Babylon and all its land. Around the city he built a wall and declared that Babylon would never fall. He had concubines and wives, he called his Babylon paradise. On his throne he drank and ate, but for Belshazzar it was getting late. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His houses were built upon the sand. People feasted and drank their wine and praised the false gods of his time. All holy things they scorned and mocked, but suddenly all their mocking stopped. For on the wall there appeared a hand, nothing else, there was no man. In blood the hand began to write, and Belshazzar couldn't hide his fright. For he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His kingdom was divided, couldn't stand. He was weighed in the balance and found wanting. His houses were built upon the sand. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Truth Barista, I've been reading my Bible. Again, you'd be happy. Oh, I'm always happy when we get to the Bible and you're reading it. That's good. The only problem is, is every time I read my Bible, I have more questions when I finish than when I started. Okay, questions like what? Well, like, for example, I'm reading in Leviticus, you know, and not everyone likes Leviticus. You know, there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of... Did you know (laughs) that Leviticus is one of my favorite books? Well, that figures. Yeah, figures, yeah. Anyway, so I'm reading in in, uh, Leviticus and I'm coming to Leviticus. Leviticus 10.10, and it talks about, we don't know the difference. I mean, the citation that God had against his people, you don't know the difference between holy things and common things. And that just really confused me, because I don't know what the heck he means. Okay. In Leviticus, Leviticus is a book that's a lot about the difference between holy and unholy because God is talking instructions to the Levites. These are the priests that serve him, and he's specifically talking to Aaron, the high priest. Aaron is supposed to set the standard to show what is things that are set apart to God. That's what holy means. Holy means set apart. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to draw the line between that which is of God, kind of like in God's sphere, mm-hmm. and stuff that's commonly used within the world. And there are certain things that should not be brought into God's sphere. And they don't belong to God. They don't belong in God's presence. And there's stuff of God's presence that shouldn't be used in the world in a secular way. 
But we don't teach that today. When I go to my church, Truth Barista, I don't hear anything about common and sacred things or holy things. Everything's like stew. It's all kind of mushed together, and it's all one size fits all. I agree. Uh, That's my kind of perception on churches today. There's kind of a mishmash. I think we've really lost that idea of that which is sacred or holy or set apart to God and that which is profane, that stuff that isn't set apart. Well, actually, let me... Well, you had your hand up? What are you, what well, are you I was about? just wondering, do you have a teaching or do you have a story from the Bible that really sort of explains this a little better? I do. You know, actually, here, let me... Um let me turn to uh, Daniel 5. Okay, yes. you got your Bible on your phone there? Okay, I good. have my Okay, Bible. this is a really interesting account. Let me set the stage for you, okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, so here's the stage. Back about 600 years before Jesus, mm-hmm. Israel is still a nation, and they've been kind of going through some bad times with God. In fact, so bad that God allowed the Assyrian army to take the upper half of Israel away mm-hmm. into captivity, and you just have the lower half of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and Levi, they're there in the southern part called Judah. Now, they're having a struggle with idolatry, so much so that even in the holy special precincts of the temple, some of the Judahite kings put up idols in God's temple. That would be like today in a church setting up a statue to Buddha or some other Hindu god. Okay, that would be the same equivalent. Well, God says, I'm sorry, this is my temple, this is my house, you don't do that kind of stuff in my house. That's of the idols. In fact, things that are unholy to God, God has said in Scripture, they kind of make him sick. He has a revulsion to these things that are unholy. Well, because Israel got so sucked into this idolatry, God says, I'm going to just have to burn out this idolatry from my people. I'm going to have to give them such a lesson that they are never going to do this idolatry again. Also, when God originally made Israel a nation, he said at Mount Sinai, this is how I want you to live. And one of the big laws was no idolatry. Now, at the end, as part of the covenant terms, you want to say like the contract law, at the end of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he says, if you break this covenant, I'm going to kick you out of this land. Why? Because it ain't your land. It's my land. And when you're living in my land, these are the rules of the house. You don't want to live by the rules of the house, you're going to get kicked out. Are you tracking with me so far? No, I am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Israel violated the laws of the house, of the land. And God says, okay, I've got to deal with this. How am I going to deal with this? He says, I'm going to bring King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, a rising empire at the time, and I'm going to bring them in. And this is what's weird. I'm going to let him take the holy articles of my temple, and I'm going to let him take my people into Babylon, and then I'm going to wipe out everybody else in the land here and only leave a few poor people behind. Well, that's the point, right? I mean, he took the best of the best of the best. See, this is what's interesting. People look at the exile of the people of Israel and the articles of the temple as, oh, this is, you know, God's terrible punishment. Well, yeah, it was. But according to Jeremiah, it was God's way of preserving his people And the articles of the temple because God's plan was to bring them back to the land after 70 years. In other words, Israel got a 70-year time out in Babylon to think about what they did. 
<laughs> kind of an uh, odd way of thinking about it, yeah, right? Yeah, go to your corner. <laughs> That's right. So here they are parked in Babylon, and the treasures of the temple are put into the temple treasury of Babylon. Now, that was a common practice because you would often take an opponent's gods or treasures, put them in your god's temple treasury to prove that your gods were better than theirs. My god's bigger than your god. My god's bigger than your god. Well, Nebuchadnezzar did that, but the problem is Nebuchadnezzar was a very prideful king. He was a very powerful king, and his issue through the first couple of chapters is, hey, God, look at how cool I am. I mean, I've got this huge city. Um, you know, I, he's kind of bombastic. He kind of struck me as a Trump-type character in so his was bombasticness. He, was he tweeting and all that, too? Yeah, I'm sure he was, yes. <laughs> but what God did to Nebuchadnezzar is he said, I'm going to humble you. And he did. He drove Nebuchadnezzar insane until Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses. And eventually, long story short, he says, God is the God of all gods. And his kingdom lasts forever. And by the way, he can take anybody down he wants, and he can raise anybody up he wants. That's the way it is. So he really got an awareness of the holiness of God and the awesomeness and the mightiness of God. His level of respect went way up. Okay. A couple of generations later, he has a descendant known in Scripture as a son, Okay, a descendant named Belshazzar. He's having a frat party. Now, this Belshazzar guy is a really, his character is really bad. And he decides to have a royal drinking party, this frat party. So he invites all of his concubines, all of his nobles in, and they get the idea, hey, let's go into the treasury, let's get these holy things of God and use them to drink wine and just get, and let's really abuse them. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Well, it seems kind of, well, barbaric in a way. It is sacrilegious. Okay, that's not a word we use a lot. What is sacrilegious? That is the act or instance of taking anything that's sacred and putting it to a secular use. So think of it this way. Would you use a chalice from a Catholic church as a cup to hold paint while you're painting the living room walls? No. Okay, that's... I'm excommunicated. <laughs> that's the feeling of something being sacrilegious. That's also the related word is to put something to a profane use. Well, because of Belshazzar's outrageous sacrilege, God's hand shows up, writes on the wall, and says, guess what? You're done, Belshazzar. Tonight, you're dead, and Babylon is going to fall. And guess what happened? The Medo-Persians, who were camped outside of Babylon, got into the city, took the city down in one night. And this was all triggered because Belshazzar was messing with God's stuff. You know, Truth Priest, I know this isn't a part of our study here, but it almost seems like these sons or grandsons or great-grandsons, whatever they are, they're really a problem. I mean, it's almost like from generation to generation, it's they don't hold the same kind of commitment to the Lord. That is a real struggle. Well, I mean, you look at all the sons of all the prophets like uh, Eli and Samuel and Aaron. You know, the scripture says these sons were really a bunch of, well, they, yeah, they weren't very nice people, and they were sacrilegious. Exactly. You know, that is a great point because Aaron's sons, right, as soon as they built the tabernacle in the desert, which was not long after Israel came out of Egypt during the Passover, they're all camped at Mount Sinai. They create the tabernacle, the tent where God is. God's holy presence fills the tabernacle. Well, part of the worship service was to burn incense. I mean, many Christians today know burning incense, especially if they came from the Catholic Church. It's a symbol of worship and prayer 
etc. Well, there was a very specific type of incense that was to be used and it was to be done in a certain way at a certain time by Aaron specifically. Well, it says his boys decided that they wanted to do this and they used either, it says strange fire, which means they either used the wrong incense or they did it at the wrong time or they used the wrong source or kind of fire to present. It was just wrong. And God said, you are taking what is holy and belonging to me and doing it in a wrong way. And therefore, he judged them on the spot. Why? He says, my people have to understand the difference between what is holy and what is unholy. Because if people ignorantly cross the line and they're not ready to enter the holy area, it can go bad because God has to judge that which is not holy. Are you tracking with me well, on Well, I, I am, and I think that you're going to talk about, at least I hope you do, how this all relates to us even in today's church because there is some sacrilegious things that take place, and I just wonder how God deals with that. But first, I think it's sacrilegious that our cups are without coffee. Why did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> I'll turn mean Put it on the rocks So straight up with cream You know I'm a fiend For that being a caffeine Caffeine You know, here at the Truth Barista We really need your support We need your prayer support And we need your financial support Can you support us financially, you ask? Well, that's a great question. Go to our podcast site, look on the lower right-hand side along the margin, and you'll see a GoFundMe button, you'll see a PayPal button, and you'll even see a snail mail address of the office of the Airzats Coffee Shop. And you can send anything you want through there. It is tax deductible. God is so God is so Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot, but so there's no problem. Let me tell you something. If you want to compare people, Nebuchadnezzar was one of the greatest leaders in the world history. Belshazzar was nothing. Belshazzar is ruling like he's something. And once again, he brings out the things from the temple, and he's making fun of the God of Israel. And God says, I'm just not going to let that happen. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, you have been drinking wine from them, and you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. I mean, they're nothing but the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. So we're talking about messing with the treasures of God, God's treasures, God's holy things, things that, in a sense, you could kind of divide it into two areas. They could be things that belong to God, all right? They can be things that we set apart and give to God for his use or for him, those two areas. Here are a couple things that we don't want to be messing with that belong to God. And let's talk about things we set apart to him. Remember that illustration I just gave you about the cup being used to hold paint? Yeah. Okay. Worship service is the time when we Christians get together to be with each other, but more importantly, be with God, to talk to him, to sing to him, 
to hear his word, to let him speak into our lives as we worship him as we go. So this is our focused time with God, okay? How many Christians, in your experience, as you go to church today, Mm -hmm. walk in late to a service. Wow. You're talking about a pet peeve of most pastors, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, it's a pet peeve of mine, too, because when you're sitting there in worship and you're trying to focus and to pray and to listen to God and really focus on Him, to have somebody coming in and get all settled in the seat next to you, and, you know, especially if they happen to have some rowdy kids, it's very distracting. And you're late. What? You're late. And it was traffic. Yeah, it's traffic. (laughs) Wasn't it traffic? Well, What's happening is the person doing that is pulling your gaze from the Lord. And I'm thinking from the Lord's perspective, it's like you're interrupting this time of communion between that person and myself because you were too rude to get here on time. Okay, here's another one. During a worship service, I love contemporary music. Well, wait a minute. What? Come on, Truth Barista. Isn't there such a thing as grace for people that come in late? Yeah, well, you tell that to Nadab and Abihu. Did God have grace on them? No. When they cross the line, there's an aspect of God's character that the church ignores today, that there are lines that God has that we are not allowed to cross. And it's when we presume that it's okay to cross them that problems start to happen. And we see examples of this over and over again. Okay, I'm going to get up a half hour earlier. I get it. Okay, yeah, you kind of got that reference there, didn't you? Okay, so here's one. That Nadab and Abihu, they used God's incense the wrong way at the wrong time, and they were judged for it. Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody was, this is a New Testament Acts thing. Ananias and Sapphira had a bunch of land and they saw how everybody else was selling off their assets and then giving the money in the church. And evidently, those people doing that were held in high esteem. That's quite a sacrifice. They came up with a scheme. We'll sell the land, but we'll keep part of the money back for ourselves because, you know, we want to don't want to go without. And then we'll present the rest of this money to the Lord. And not only will we give to the Lord, but hey, looking good in the meantime. So they do this. And right away, Peter says, is this the full amount? And Ananias says, yes, it is. And he goes, nope. Holy Spirit told me you're lying. You, you liar. That lie in the presence of the Holy Spirit and to the Holy Spirit was enough to cause a judgment on Ananias. He was struck dead. And so was his wife when she also confirmed the lie. This is something I think we've lost in the church. This idea that there are lines that cannot be crossed with God when we start messing with his stuff. That's one of those lines, and here are some of the things. Well, but that's the whole message today of grace. Grace fills in the blanks of where we nebulously take liberties. Well, you have all the grace in the world if you want to drive your car through a construction zone at 80 miles an hour, but if the loss is 50 miles an hour, guess what? You're going to get clocked and you're going to get ticketed, okay? How much more so a holy God who says, there are some things about you that don't belong in this particular situation unless you deal with them. So here's one. Again, getting back to the worship service. I like contemporary Christian music, but there are some churches I go to that treat the song service where we sing to God and we listen to him, and they treat it like it's a theater production or or some sort of a concert. And it takes the focus off God and puts it on the band. Mm -hmm, The performance. In a sense, when it's done that way, it can really become crossing the line to God. Because you're taking what's of God, the adulation, the praise of Him, and drawing it down to the worship team. I've often told worship teams 
that I've worked with in the past, our job as worship leaders is to become invisible. Now, we can be very visible and draw the attention to us if we're bad musically, so we should strive for excellence. We can also draw it if we're too excellent and it becomes a production and a performance rather than we're going to provide music that allows people to draw their attention to God. That can be crossing the line. You know, I went to a worship service here not long ago to a church I don't normally attend, but I was somewhat taken back by that because the people in front of me were dressed like they just rolled out of bed and they wore clothes that were two sizes too small for oversized body. Okay, so you're saying a modesty issue? Modesty and just that you want to present yourself in a way that doesn't attract attention, either good or bad. Yeah, I I can agree. In fact, two pastors can violate this because, let's face it, giving the message from a pulpit, you are speaking as God's representative as a pastor. There are times when pastors can speak with too much humor or too flippantly. And you're actually degrading the very message God wants them to deliver to the congregation. Pastors can cross the line on this one. Here's some other things. Something you give to God is your word. God, I'm going to do this, right? Or I'm going to be this way, correct? Correct. Okay. Well, Jesus says that if you make a vow, you need to fulfill it. Why? It's sacred to God. You gave him your word. In fact, Proverbs says that there are people... The righteous people fulfill their word even if it hurts them doing so. That's the way to address something as holy. If it really puts some hurt into my life to fulfill a vow that I've made to the Lord, that shows my commitment to the Lord by regarding that vow as holy. How many men and women have stood at the altar in marriage and given a solemn vow and an oath to each other only to later say, you know, I'm not so sure not about so this. Not so sure about this. Well, this is why God says, no, that vow wasn't just made to your spouse. That vow was made to me and your spouse because I'm the third person in that marriage. And God will sometimes get to work on a couple or an individual that violates those vows. So here's some more things, too. God doesn't save just souls. He saves the whole person. Correct? Correct. agree with that? Sure. Okay. So how do we treat these bodies which we have now dedicated to the Lord's service? Well, some people just don't take care of their bodies at all. You know, they overeat, they don't exercise, they don't do anything to make their bodies healthy. Okay. That's an unwise thing to do. But how many people use their bodies in an in a sinful or an unholy way. Paul talks a lot about keeping the marriage bed undefiled. In other words, the sexual expression is great, but mm-hmm. it needs to be between the husband and wife. Are they involved in pornography? Mm. Are they involved with another spouse? I mean, how are you treating your body? Here's one, substance abuse or alcohol abuse. This is a God-given body. To cross that line is to take what is we've set apart to the Lord and use it for what we want to use it. That can also cross the line. How about the talents? What about the potential? What about the opportunities God gives us? If we say, I'm going to give my talents to the Lord, and you see a lot of this, sadly, you have people like Whitney Houston, who was given a tremendous gift and talent of singing, and she used it in church choirs, started out, and later she got famous and moved into the secular industry. Now, I'm not going to make a judgment on her personally. I'll let her life speak 
for itself. And I'm not saying that if you are a Christian singer, you can't move into the secular realm because there are some wonderful Christian artists that are doing this. But what I've seen happen is some Christian artists have moved into that secular realm, and then they start modifying the Christian message and shaving the Christian message and adapting it to the culture because there's they're used to the fame or they're used to the money that's coming in on the secular side. And what started as something that they gave to the Lord is now something they use for themselves. I think that's crossing the line. That's just my opinion. I'll let the Holy Spirit minister to people on that one. What? Truth Barista, we used to say about preachers, well, you've gone from preaching to meddling. Yes, and I'm going to meddle some more here because there are some things out there that really belong to God. And I'm going to go through this list that I have marked down here. Salvation, okay? God gives you salvation. He saves you. You're now in a relationship with him. Do we presume upon that relationship and say, well, because I'm saved, because I'm in a relationship with God, I can do whatever I want, and God's just not going to you know, do anything about it. Well, that's presuming upon that, and God's Word does say that there comes a reckoning for people who do things like that. How about the body of Christ? The whole body, the church, the congregations, other Christians, we all belong to Jesus. So do we abuse one another? Do we treat our fellow brothers and sisters in a very secular way? Or should we be treating them in a very godly, holy way? Very disrespectful. The body of Christ can be extremely disrespectful to one another. Exactly. We should be honoring one another, loving one another, setting the example to the world of how to treat one another. That would be honoring God and not messing with his treasure. Here's another one. One of God's biggest treasures, his word. But how many Christians today are taking God's word, again, adapting it to the culture because they want to be liked mm-hmm. and they want to have, you know, all the funds coming into the church coffers or trying to, as they say, do marketing or commercialization of it and are compromising God's word. We can't be doing that. That's correct. Okay. How about the Holy Spirit? Oh, this is a big one. The Holy Spirit does move in power. He does give his people gifts to use. But how many charismatic Christians or Pentecostal Christians have used those gifts to get fame for themselves or influence or have abused these gifts to get money and all of a sudden you watch their ministry just suddenly go down the tank? You're not telling me God hasn't stepped in and done something about that? There's another side of that too and that's those Christians who ignore the Holy Spirit or say the Holy Spirit no longer operates in certain gifts that he has given to us. So that's in a way ignoring his ability to work in us as well. So that's equally that's messing, as bad. Yeah, that's messing with God's treasure, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, at least in those acts of power. Here's one, parents and children. Parents are a gift to the children. Children are a gift to the parents. Parents, as scripture says, fathers don't aggravate your children. Now, we do need to bring them up in discipline, but there's a sense of needlessly antagonizing children or aggravating them or hurting them. We can't be doing that. Children are a gift from the Lord, the scripture says. On the other hand, children, the parents, we are to honor our mother and our father. So really, if we are abusing our parents or dishonoring them or treating them in a profane way, and if parents are treating their children in a profane way, they're crossing the line. We're messing with these respective treasures of God. Here's one. What about life? God has given us a life. This is one of mine that really motivates me. What am I doing with my life? 
Very good. Am I using it in a God-honoring way, or is life just something to be enjoyed or to enrich myself until I finally burn out at the end and wink out into darkness? No, life is a gift. It should be used for God, however he has set the path before you, according to the talents he's given you. I like to call that burying your life in the backyard. Well, that's eventually where you're going to go, is you're going to be buried, you know, as a... Okay, here's another one. The Jewish people. Well, let me read this to you. Deuteronomy 7, 6, God says, For you, talking to the Jewish people, are a holy people belonging to your God. So if we're messing with God's treasure, are we messing with the Jewish people and anti-Semitism? That's one way of looking at it. Here's another one. Israel's land. Mm. You see a lot of nations really howling, oh, we need to have a Palestinian state or, you know, the Jews are occupying the land, etc. The Jews are not occupying the land. They're living on the land that God gave them because in Leviticus 25, 23, God says, the land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine and you are only aliens and temporary residents living on my land. And this goes back to the Jews being exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. They were getting out of hand, and God said, you've crossed the line, boom, get off my land. When you've learned your lesson, I'm going to bring you back. Well, you know something? The Jews were exiled in AD 70 by the Romans. God is giving them their land back, 1948. He gave them Jerusalem back, 1967. And now you have nations are going, we want this land for the Palestinians, or we want this land for other nations, and or in other words, we don't want the Jews on the land. You're not fighting the Jewish people. You're fighting the God of the Jewish people over that land. I love that. And you really want to mess with God's treasure Here's another one that's fun. I got two more here that are fun. How about the earth? Mm -hmm. Psalm 24 says the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know something? Mm. We don't have to be radical environmentalists. We just need to be the best conservationists that Christians can be. Because we're supposed to take care of God's stuff. We're not supposed to abuse God's world. To do so, in a sense, would be messing with God's possession. And here's a final one. Now, you might not agree with this, but I'm convinced that God wants us as Christians to tithe. It's just a recognition that everything that we have comes from the Lord, so I'll give him 10%, and he graciously gives me 90% to work with. You, you agree I, with I agree with that, absolutely. Oh. People who don't tithe are probably aren't as blessed as they probably should be. Okay, well, here's the other thing, is if I set my money aside for tithe, am I using, kind of dipping into the envelope and using it for a secular purpose? You know, I think I need to go to a movie tonight, or I want to go, you know, use it in some sort of a profane way. God in the scripture says, no, 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 those tithes belong to me. So if we're tithing, we should expect God to bless us because he says he wants to bless us. If we're using what belongs to God in an unholy or a profane way, mm, it's kind of interesting how you watch some people's income begin to dry up. It's it's something to watch and, and experiment with God. See if that is crossing the line for you. This program that you're doing, Truth Barista, is such a self-awareness. I'm, I'm sitting here in some of these areas I'm convicted because I have taken God at face value or disrespected him in some way, took him for granted, whatever, and I mean, it's very convicting. It's a good conviction, though, because I want to change. I want to make things point. different so that I honor God at everything, my mind, body, soul, everything. Isn't it fascinating that we will often see people give celebrities or athletes or political leaders more honor and respect than they would God? It's a thing. But really, the good news is this. God is a forgiving God. 
And so once we become self-aware of these issues, God is more than willing to forgive. But at the same time, I won't say but, and at the same time, he says, okay, now learn the boundaries. You don't treat God lightly, but God really wants you to treat him fully. He wants you to really embrace him in a good, wonderful, wholesome, glorifying way and not treat him so lightly. Does that make sense? It does. It's just coming back to appreciating the fear of God in that sense of fear being honor and respect. And reverence. And reverence. Right. So, you know, we oftentimes like to have fun and joy in our midst as a congregation, as churches, etc. The people of God enjoy and happiness and fun is certainly a part of it. We just have to make sure we don't kind of fall into the sacrilegious thing that Belshazzar did because it can have some very significant repercussions. Well, God is God and we are not. Thanks, Truth Barista. I sure appreciate the thoughts. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast.